You're listening to Music is Inspiration. Visit us online at musicisinspiration.com. That's Kelly Armour, playing a song that she learned during her years spent in East Africa. This tune is particularly special, as it's actually the first one that she learned during her time with the Mijikunda people, an ethnic group inhabiting the coast of Kenya. Not only is Kelly playing a traditional flute, she's also playing African rattles, one from Africa and one she made herself, by tying them around her ankles and dancing along as she keeps time. Kelly is from Erie, Pennsylvania, and has devoted much of her life to studying, performing, and preserving folk music from around the world. Having studied in Kenya and Tanzania during her college years, Kelly lived in rural villages and immersed herself in the country's culture and music. Since that time, she's returned to Africa to capture over 40 hours of field recordings from the country's musicians in order to assist in preserving their songs. Kelly's also studied folk music in the United States, traveling around the country while interpreting and performing American tunes. In addition, she's even spent a number of weeks on the USS Brig Niagara, the vessel that served as a flagship during the War of 1812, while learning maritime instruments and music. Kelly now serves as Folk Art and Education Director at the Erie Art Museum. As part of her initiatives there, Kelly's established the Old Songs New Opportunities Project, or OSNO, with a grant from the Pennsylvania Council of the Arts. Her work with OSNO has created educational opportunities for Erie refugees, as she's trained over 60 former refugee women thus far about U.S. education standards, enabling them to acquire jobs in Pennsylvania's education system. The program also places a strong emphasis on encouraging trainees to share their home culture with students in the classroom via their traditional songs. With over 10,000 former refugees now living in Erie, Kelly has done an incredible work with individuals from Bhutan, Iraq, Sudan, Ukraine, and more, supporting them to continue spreading their traditional music and art. She's a truly inspiring individual, and I was grateful to have the opportunity to meet with her and learn more about her background and work. I pretty much grew up right here in Erie, Pennsylvania, and we could start our band instrument in fourth grade and I wanted to play the flute and I loved it and then I added piano lessons and I was really active in the junior high school and high school jazz band and uh, marching band and I took private lessons and I became interested in composing too and I pretty much decided that music was my life and I wanted to study it. Uh, but I didn't want to go to a conservatory. I wanted to study lots of different things and see how music fit into that. Um, the prospect of playing scales for hours a day just didn't, didn't excite me. And I wanted to go to a really great school that had a great music department. Lots of people suggested Yale. I went there and I was really disappointed. <laughs> um, uh, but actually, I'm glad I went to Yale because I learned, I learned a lot. I was forced to, to define what was really important to me because what they were giving me wasn't, wasn't satisfying. And I was also taking lessons with this incredibly esteemed flute professor, um, but he was crazy. So that was this kind of, I had very conflicted feelings about that. Um, 
And I was very disappointed in my music theory classes. I knew, certainly knew about music theory, just being in the jazz band and playing piano and com composing. And, but I thought at college, we were really going to talk about music and music theory. And um, I just quickly discovered that music theory was really about analyzing all the harmonics. And it wasn't really about talking about music. And with a great deal of innocence, I asked my music theory teacher, when are we going to talk about music? And he was very offended. And he said, well, we can only talk about what, that which we can measure. And if you want to drop this class, you can drop this class. And I thought, oh my gosh, I didn't know. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll finish the semester. I'll finish the semester. But I thought, geez. If that's his, if that's what music theory is about, only looking at that which you can measure, the stuff that most interests me about music is kind of those immeasurable things, that maybe this is not the place for me. It was during Kelly's time at Yale that she discovered her love for African music. I fell into a, kind of by accident, this very experimental seminar in West African drumming. Now this is the mid 80s, mind you. So that now that's like a normal thing to take African drumming when you go to college. But uh, that was extremely experimental back then. And I loved it. The music was beautiful. But that was actually just the bonus. That was the icing on the cake. What was so exciting to me was the process of talking about music which was what I'd been looking for. And I, uh, after a bit of soul searching, I realized this is what I want to do. I want to learn more about African music. I don't want to learn it mediated by the ivory tower. I want to experience African music in the most authentic way possible, which really would mean I need to leave New Haven, Connecticut. So, so I did, and I found this program, um, this college degree program that it would allow me to go to East Africa and teach myself African music, sort of homeschool myself for the rest of my bachelor's degree. So I did that, um, and it was, it was an amazing experience. Kelly enrolled in Friends World College, now part of Long Island University, where she achieved her degree in ethnomusicology after years of independent research and study. In some ways it was an ideal situation because if I was doing this formal graduate level research, it, there's all this bureaucracy you have to deal with in terms of the government of Kenya and Tanzania. I could just go right straight there to villages, to musicians, and because I was a kid, I was 22 years old, they took me under their wing, they treated me like a daughter. I ended up learning a great deal about their culture and a great deal about their music. After a year in Kenya, followed by one and a half years in Tanzania, Kelly learned that by becoming the perfect African daughter, she was able to immerse herself in the culture and music of the villages where she lived. I realized very quickly that there's a lot of anthropologists that do not want to insert themselves into the process. They want to remain as distant as possible. They don't want to affect the people that they're studying. But there was absolutely no way I could be invisible 
just no, no way. I was, I was this white girl in the middle of this African village who had never encountered any white people except in James Bond movies. But I also realized that my relationship would lead me. I just followed my nose. I followed my intuition. They wanted to have a relationship with me. How could I say, no, I have to be invisible? <laughs> I mean, it, it was strange enough for me to be there, but it, the most natural thing for me was to learn how to be a good African daughter. Uh, because they wouldn't have taught me music if I hadn't been. The very first thing I wanted to learn was this flute that is taught in Koran school in Lamu, Kenya, this little island off the coast of Kenya. Very Muslim community, Swahili people. And this is something that at the time only boys learned, but it was a flute. So I uh, figure, okay, well, I play the flute, we're, we'll start there. It's actually, it was an end-blown flute. It was very, very challenging. And I was having a bear of a time just getting a sound out of it. But they, well, they knew I, I had said I was a flute player. So these Koran school teachers were like, well, let me see your flute, you know? So we ended up, I ended up teaching them how to play my flute and they would teach me how to play their flute. And this sort of breaks all of those anthropological rules, you know, introducing a Western instrument into the, into the research of another culture. But it was a wonderful thing because I can play my flute. They could see that I was a decent musician. I wasn't just lying about saying I was a musician. Watching them play my flute, I could see what all their flute assumptions were. You know, how they were blowing, what they were fingering, how they were approaching it. That made it so much easier for me to then tackle their flute. And also, because they're not, not only was there a language barrier because I was brand new at trying to speak Swahili, they didn't speak any English. Even when I was better at speaking Swahili, you know, pedagogy is not the same in, in an oral culture as it is in our culture, where we explain everything, we, we, we intellectualize everything, we get really good. You know, a great classical teacher is able to articulate exactly what your, your diaphragm is doing, what your embouchure is doing, what your fingers are doing. But that doesn't exist in traditional cultures. You just, you watch and you try it and you try it and you try it. And when you're good enough, then they sort of let you play with them. The audio you're hearing is of a women's choir in Tanzania and was recorded by Kelly during a trip to Africa in the early 2000s. Kelly returned to reconnect with her African family, but also to work with her first husband, David Sturdivant, to record the music and sounds of the people she had met. During their travels, the duo had completed over 40 hours of field recordings, releasing a little over 60 minutes of Kelly's favorite songs on a CD in 2004, with sales benefiting the musicians she recorded. She titled the CD Roho, the Swahili word for spirit, based on the profound spiritual themes that exist among the music of East African cultures. When I was there in the 80s, I felt like I was watching traditional culture just sort of fade away before my eyes. Uh, I wasn't sure if there'd be any music 
any traditional music when I went back. There was lots and lots, way more. Because when I was there, cassette technology had hit East Africa. So everybody who wanted to buy music could buy music all of a sudden. And it was easy to make copies. So that kind of sucked them all into Michael Jackson land, you know. But what follows that technology is home studio technology. So by the time we got there, there were lots of people with those little record four tracks on a cassette tape, you know, had those little machines and they were beginning to record each other. And of course, they'd prefer to listen to their own music. So where there used to be one choir, then there was four. gospel music because it's combining the the harmonies from all those German hymns that they'd absorbed from all the Lutheran missionaries but it's also all of their indigenous rhythms combined with that um, they had no knowledge of American gospel music we put that um, album out and some Presbyterians said wow we really want to reach out to this church that we've been working with in Madagascar and can you go make a recording of all these choirs because they have this amazing music tradition so they sent us to travel around Madagascar and record choirs. So, and that is an amazing, it's, it's just beautiful. They all, choirs all create all their own music. They all write their own music. You know, that's a normal thing. It's funny because I would always, I would explain, well, we're here because Americans are always looking for new music and choirs are curious to sing your songs. And are, they, they said, what? American choirs? Why aren't they just writing their own music? <laughs> In addition to her work with African music, Kelly has also devoted much time to interpreting and writing American folk music, traveling around the country, performing for over 10 years. I came back from Africa and I thought, this is kind of wacky that I know more about these a couple of different ethnic groups' music in Africa way better than I know my own tribe's music. I really ought to investigate. And I saw, oh my gosh, there is this long tradition of American folk music and it's accessible. You've got to dig a little bit, but you don't have to dig that far. There's lots of resources. And I found people who were passing down the oral tradition on my first husband. I met him when I was looking for American traditional music, and he's the son of an old-time fiddler, and he's a songwriter, a wonderful singer, a wonderful songwriter, um, who's definitely got a foot in Appalachian tradition. And so we toured together for over 10 years, traveled around the country playing at coffee houses and small venues and festivals and doing programs in schools. After a request to learn maritime music, she also ended up spending time on the flagship Niagara while studying Songs of the Sea. A local teacher who was involved in the, the Niagara, that beautiful 1812-era sailing vessel, said, well, I'm going to take kids on a tour of the Niagara, and it would be great if you could do some maritime music. And so I started learning some of these songs, but, and they were beautiful musically, but they didn't make a lot of sense. 
And he said, if you experience the ship, then you'll, it'll make more sense. And he was right. I spent um, about two weeks sailing on the Niagara and it was, I understood, okay, this is a capstan shanty. This is, this is why a capstan shanty is the way it is. This is what it's like to walk the capstan around. This is what it's like to haul to anchor. It gave me a, it gave me a, a taste and an understanding and an appreciation for that. That's Kelly playing the concertina. It resembles an accordion, but smaller, and was an instrument of choice by ship crews. It's one of the instruments she learned while studying maritime music. Years after her work in Africa, Kelly was offered a job as the folklorist at the Erie Art Museum. It was the perfect opportunity to continue pursuing her love of folk music right in her own hometown. They needed a folklorist for this grant that they got. And at the same time, this has now been, you know, a good 13 years since I'd left Africa. And I was so hungry to drink from that well again. It was so meaningful to collect traditional music from the source. One of the first things I said I wanted to do was, I really want to look at connecting with Erie's refugee community. Because I'm thinking, hmm, just perfectly selfishly thinking, I can collect world music and not leave Erie, I'll bet. This is a way that I can do that. And uh, and really curious about all these people that I see. Um, I can see these are, these people are Africans that are living here now. I met Bosnians. Um, I met Ukrainians. Um, and I also learned that refugees are supposed to be self-supporting in a matter of months. They're desperately looking for employment. By this time, Kelly had much experience working as an artist in residence, acting as a creative catalyst in schools, and assisting teachers in designing interdisciplinary creative projects for their students. During her work, she discovered that teachers were hardly singing to their classes, if at all. It was quite the contrast to her time in Africa, where singing was part of a daily routine within classrooms and amongst families. The realization that Erie's many refugees not only needed jobs, but had brought beautiful music with them from their home countries, led to her foundation of Old Song's New Opportunities. The program is led by Kelly with the goal of educating refugees to work at area educational institutions while also incorporating their traditional music into their daily lessons with students. Pulled together the very first Old Songs New Opportunities training about 11 years ago. And it was very successful to train. We had nine African women. They were amazing, amazing musicians uh, and incredibly enthusiastic and so happy for the opportunity to be around kids. So we've trained something like 63 women and two men. The goals of the training are to kind of teach them the culture of the American childcare. So they learn about rules and regulations. They learn uh, pediatric CPR. They learn ages and stages of development. They learn about transitions. They learn proper discipline. And it really becomes a forum for talking about uh, child rearing in different cultures. Mama, zamanha gaya gaya, baad shwaya gaya labu wahagat gaya maaha shanta fiha wazzaw batta bitul wak 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 wak. Mama, zamanha gaya gaya, baad shwaya gaya labu wahagat 
Here's an example of an OSNO participant from Iraq, sharing a traditional song in Arabic with students, along with the English translation. You'll also hear recordings from the classroom sung by former refugees of Nepal and the Congo. They bring in songs from their culture, they talk about what it means, we all figure out how to sing it in that native language, and then we figure out how to repot them in English. It is so much fun. Usually what happens is I'll learn the song I'll just really try to absorb the song and then I'll go for a run <laughs> and I'll just keep singing it and singing it and singing it and I know what it means and then I'll just sort of think about what is the what is a way to sing it in English so I'll get some phrases and then I'll or I'll look at kind of the rhythm and rhyme scheme and then um, and usually I have a couple of different ideas of how to do it and then I present it to the class I say well we could do it this way we could do it this way or what about this and they are incredibly decisive they're like oh that's the way to do it it's a microcosm of the enculturation experience you're taking this this nugget of that is so about one culture and you're bringing it into this completely different culture. But it's all kids' music, so it's all fun and immediately accessible at some level. But it still has the accent of that culture about it, so it's a fascinating thing. I mean, I've done programs for adults where all I've done is sing these children's songs, but, and, and they're incredibly entertaining, you know? <laughs> grateful that I am able to use my experience in Africa in this incredibly concrete way. When I, when I went there, so many people were, thought that I was just crazy. I was giving up on an Ivy League degree. I was going to this incredibly impractical place, Africa, to study the most impractical subject, music. But yet, it has enabled me to... I could have never dreamed I'd be doing this now, but... We've got so many new Americans here in Erie, and it's like the Rust Belt is full of refugees, full of them. And there's nothing about refugee resettlement that really honors where they come from. It's all about learn English, learn English, learn English, get a job, get a job, get with, get with, get with the program, get with the program. Yet they are this incredible resource, this incredible resource. And whatever caused them to be a refugee has threatened their culture. You know, there's now more Bosnians living outside of Bosnia than in Bosnia now. And it is crucial. They have to figure out how to keep their culture going. Because if it's going to keep going, it, ha it has to 
keep going in the diaspora. And many refugees, most refugees, they, do, they stop singing to their kids when they, once they get here because our culture doesn't honor that. They, you know, the TV's always on. They don't spend as much time with their kids because everybody's going to a separate school. And so they're losing their culture without, without even having a chance to consider what they're losing. I want our culture to continue to sing to our kids. I want to preserve these beautiful songs. This is such, it's such an easy way to keep this tradition going. And it, And when women say, oh, yeah, now I'm singing with my kids again, it opens doors for them to talk about their home, to talk about their native culture, and which can be very difficult at times because they've lost so much. But it is such a beautiful way for them to connect to the best parts of their culture and then for us all to benefit from it. I feel so grateful that I can be a part of that to keep that going. You've been listening to Music as Inspiration with Kelly Armour at the Musicologist, Folklorist at the Erie Art Museum, Educator, and Head of Old Songs New Opportunities, based in Erie, Pennsylvania. Learn more about Old Songs New Opportunities on Facebook and visit OSNO's SoundCloud and YouTube pages to hear more songs from former refugees. Also, visit erieartmuseum.org to learn more about Kelly's work as a folklorist and artist-in-residence. Visit musicasinspiration.com to hear additional audio from Kelly and to download this episode for free. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Sessoni fulana, azovi magneti, asena tivi luku.